0: Well hello, um, my name is Gary Watt, I'm a professor in the Law School at the University of Warwick where one of the uh, subjects I teach is Law and Literature and we focus on uh, Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice and Dickens' Bleak House and I'm delighted to be joined today uh, by Andrew Davies, uh, a script writer and uh, a person who specialises in adapting um, some of the great works for, uh, for screen and, and uh, television and famously adapted Bleak House uh, so we just want to talk about um, some of the dynamics of moving a, a big novel Dickens' largest from the page to the screen perhaps uh, we can just uh, welcome you Andrew hello thanks to begin with just to to ask a very so, naive question in a sense but how readily does Dickens lend himself to adaptation is he inherently cinematic in any way
1: I think in some ways he is. He's a natural because uh, uh, he has a tremendous visual imagination. Uh, in fact he conjures up uh, something like like a, like a wonderful uh, uh um, cinema scene you can you can you can often see the cuts you can see the dissolves and often you know you, you get a sense of, of the camera moving mm-hmm. into the shot so he's very cinematic in that way in other ways he's he's quite difficult to adapt because the uh uh he structures his stories in in a way that's very unfamiliar to uh, people who are used to television drama now. Uh, they, they take a long time to develop and he takes a very long time getting the different parts to join up. Uh, so in those ways, he's very difficult to adapt okay, so you you 're having to
0: really uh, help a, a modern audience that isn 't used to the long wait as it were for the plot to
1: cohere yeah, I think even reading Dickens uh, certainly something that I, I I felt when i when I came back to uh, to bleak House uh, over a you know with a gap of uh, decades mm. to do this adaptation uh, I kept thinking he, he starts off. Wonderful descriptions, Inns of Court, uh, introduces a group of characters, uh, um, but no, no, no story really yet. And then, and then you turn over to the next chapter and you think, right, now the story's going to start. But no, another group <laughs> of characters and think, fine, fine, now it's going to start. But then third chapter, the same thing again. Um, and I thought, we've really got to, uh, for, in an adaptation, just restructure this thing, uh, get the stories moving, get those three young people uh, centre stage uh, so that the audience get a sense of who they might be rooting for. Right. Um, and and then we can start getting complicated. OK,
0: that sounds like a chance that more uh, false starts than we're likely to see in this Olympic year of uh, 2012. Um, so... Dickens, do you think, uh, he obviously was very fond of the image, the visual image. Uh, he, he collected caricatures, we uh, we know um, Hogarth and, and such like, and uh, his books were illustrated. In fact, really, I think his very earliest books were more illustration than text. Bleak House has got some lovely uh, images, as you say, of the young people mainly. Did you ever use those images as reference points for any of the, uh, the adaptation? I took the illustrations
1: on board... Um subliminally, you'd mm. have to say, because one of the things when, you, when, when you're writing a script, uh, you, you, you learn from experience. I, I mean, uh, new writers often describe the physical appearance of, of characters meticulously, mm. but they're going to be cast. They're going to be cast with the best available actor, and it's best not to put too many details in because the detailed physical description is in a sense provided by the actor, hmm. the costume, the makeup uh and and so on, so I just usually say how how old they are you know any any specific detail uh, that 's important but yes I, I mean in the adaptation uh I think uh, um some characters like like sheila hancock 's character um, guppy 's mother um looked very much like the uh, the illustrations in right. the in the uh, original edition uh and and various other ones um, There were other characters, partly because of um, uh, decisions that we took look looked very different mm-hmm. um, Tulkinghorn for example mm-hmm. uh we decided to cut car- he 's very old man mm-hmm. in uh, in dickens 's novel uh we thought that the intensity with which he pursues Lady Dedlock almost had a kind of, sort of kinky erotic flavour to it, which would, uh, which we thought would be much better shown uh, if if we got someone was capable of carrying through. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very well put. Very well put. And and, and Charles Dance, of course, was yes, ideal it, casting. Yes, it was, it,
0: so many uh, of them were were, were beautifully uh, cast in the uh, in the adaptation. And when you say that some characters change up. I think I'm right in calling that Crook might in the novel have been a a more emaciated figure as well, but he it becomes a a slightly more full character. Uh,
1: yes, you're, you're, you're quite you're quite right. I, um, there was a kind of pressure um, from high up in the BBC to um, to do some interesting experimental casting and, and mm. get some well known names from quite different worlds into yes. it. If if they were capable of of delivering the performances, and mm. Johnny Vegas, who's famously uh, no stranger to alcohol, <laughs> uh, seemed like a bit of an inspired guess, even if he he didn't look like the crook in the novel, yeah. and. and I guess there's there's two ways of being a drunk, one some seem to put on lots of weight and go all kind of greasy and we, we, you, you've got this idea that that crook was was more or less almost like a you know a kind of Christmas pudding and you could not <laughs> yes. go up if you put a match to him so uh it it seemed to fit psychologically. Yes,
0: I, I think it was. It, it was beautifully acted, actually, and it was one of the, the big surprises, I think, of, of the adaptation when, yeah. when it hit the screens. That, that here was Johnny Vegas um,
1: pulling out a, such a great performance, um, and his cat was very good as well. One of the um, <laughs> yes. one of the few good cat actors I'm, I'm, I've seen, because mostly they'll uh, cats give you absolutely nothing <laughs> and, and try to run away. Yeah, it was.
0: It was. It was a great. It was a great a shining performance yeah. from the cat. Um, the adaptation—it's it, very fast-paced. It's, it it it's is nice. You, you mentioned earlier about how you you need to help a modern uh, viewer into Dickens' plots uh, with a little more alacrity yeah. than, than yeah. Dickens himself um, would have done. And uh, I don't know if I'm imagining it, but you know, Dick, Dickens was was clearly quite enamoured with the, the railways, which were were then at the at the boom as he was writing, and um, certainly gets a sense in the novel, I think, of flitting from one part of the countryside. To, to another and and that comes through in the adaptation in, 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 in all sorts of ways. Just, I wonder if you can just say a little bit about how you give that sense of pace um, in in an adaptation.
1: Yeah well um, I, I think it was Hollis Miller called Bleak House a novel of connections and, and uh, I really wanted to make the connections as clear as I could or get the audience to guess at what the connections were mm-hmm. um, some of them uh, you can emphasise by uh, the way I I was able to set an awful lot of scenes around uh, Lincoln's Inn yeah. um, and uh, and have characters passing each other char- characters you've seen in the backgrounds of each other's uh, stories. But at other times, I and mean, when you go to the deadlocks, you're. Mm. Whizzing across the country to Lincolnshire, which is a hell of a long way, um, and uh, so I, I remember in the in the original first draft writing something about uh, let's try to give the uh, impression of the camera sweeping hmm. right across the the, the country, and uh, the director v- took this on board and had these cuts that go whoosh whoosh yeah, whoosh right. and give the audience a, se- a sense that um, that they're almost on a magic carpet you know able to whiz across the country at a, at a second's notice and um
0: it's interesting what you say about uh, the novel of um, connections um, and and that's what you just mentioned about the if you like the scene the, the this this central london location where everyone seems to Interact and uh, encounter each other around uh, a certain number of streets or around the courts. Um, is there any particular um, is there
1: reference that you use for that, or? Uh... Yeah, um, in fact, um, people might be might be shocked in a way, but um, I was very much influenced by EastEnders, which right. um, <laughs> which is a, a, a soap that I watch. And what I've always liked about that show uh, is uh you've got this central location Albert Square mm. and you can you can see the pub you can see the houses of a lot of the characters they've got this uh scruffy little garden in the middle and um uh and you can see people appearing in the background of each other's stories so so you get very powerful sense of the interconnectedness mm. of all that life and I thought, well, I can do the same with these few streets because uh, Tulkinghorn is close by. Um, you've got uh, Crook's shop. You've got the legal stationers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the uh, um, the the law writer who lives at Crook's. Yeah. You've got the lawyers Kenji's Chambers. Um, which uh, we we can certainly put very close, so that Guppy can take Esther to Kenji's chambers and go past Joe the Crossing Sweeper. She bumps into her father, even though she doesn't know he's her father, but we make the connection much later on. There's a way they tell stories sometimes in EastEnders that I rather liked, where you, you get two characters, you're with one character... And they pass another character. And then you go the other way with that character. And I thought that's... Uh, so I, I did that with, with the law writer in episode one. So We've been with Esther and Guppy. She bumps into the law writer. He, um, he goes on. We go with him. And then we pick Esther and Guppy up later. So it's... Um, it's a nice way of telling a story, really, that in- enables the audience to make the connections and also make guesses about how these people might affect each other's lives later on in the story. Yeah, so it's really, really mm. fascinating. It's, um, you know, Dickens
0: was obviously really passionate about those accidental connections, and, it, and another of your adaptations mm. was of Little Dorrit, and that's a book that's very much geared about the conjecture, about where are all these people coming from, where are they all going, how do they all meet, um, and yes, I was going to ask about that uh, that really poignant chance meeting when Esther bumps into mm-hmm. Nemo, the, the nameless yeah. law writer, um, at the crossing, the place where uh, Joe, the, the crossing sweeper, um, mm. you know, applies his uh, meagre trade. Um, of course, that, that meeting in the, in the book n- never happens. What we, what we get is Esther visiting the lodgings um, above Crux shop where, mm. where Nemo lives and and Dickens is probably hinting at that. Isn't it amazing how close she came yes. to her father yes. without knowing it? And and you you, know, you actually put it there as an encounter, um, almost as if different stories are rubbing off each other. And as you say, yes, uh, yes, people yeah. can carry a sort of contagion of each other's histories. Yes.
1: So. Also, one of the um, things in terms of, of casting that we did, um, they cast um, John Lynch, who's really quite a well-known actor who's who's starred in quite a number of things as Nemo and setting him up, giving him some close-ups, giving him perhaps a a bit more in the way of scenes than Dickens gives him, Uh, setting up an audience expectation, this is going to be one of the main characters of the novel, Uh, John Lynch isn't going to be in this, you know, as a kind of extra, Mm. and then kill him in the first episode. Yes. is shocking you know really shocking, and going to make the audience sit up and yeah. think this is a bit unusual and it's a foretaste and a forewarning of really
0: the the death that hangs over the the whole story yes, sure. um, so uh, yeah that's now that on the subjects of location again, just thinking about this Albert Square thing, which you know, mm-hmm. people are probably still recovering from that revelation <laughs> yeah. um, there was actually uh, quite an interesting story behind the the, the choice of location for the actual filming. Um, because, obviously, as we watch it, we get the sense that there must have been
1: very many different uh, locations brought together, but it wasn't quite like that, was it? No, um, there was um, a deliberate decision made early on. You could go and film on location and, and find it, but but that does mean uh, an awful lot of travelling about the country and uh, an awful lot of covering up of yellow lines and, and um, you know, tele-aerials and, and things like that. Uh, so what uh what they did for quite a number of um scenes in it was take over this old property uh, called Balls Park in in Hertfordshire um a place where I once had an interview when it was a teachers training college <laughs> um in about 1960 or thereabouts anyway um so so this was a, a big old rambling house with a lot of outbuildings and um and they actually built uh, a whole little set of streets there, or, mm. or the fronts of them, uh, in in the outside bit of it. And also, they used um, parts of that house. There was a, there was an old chapel in it, mm. which they used as the the chancery court oh, right, yep. and numerous rooms, uh, you know, bedrooms that, that could become things like inns and uh, all that. So they did a tremendous lot of this because um, a lot of this is um, economics of the thing Um, because uh, if you can uh, do as much as possible within the radius of the M25, um, it means you don't have to pay out overnights to the actors and the crew, uh, which can be really expensive because uh, they, they have to be... Put up in Holiday Inn or above. Um, uh, <laughs> that's the it's some kind of union regu- regulations. So, um, so, so most things these days get yeah. get done within the M25, one way or the, or the other. That's a, quite a, quite an insight into
0: the, the practicalities. Yeah. And, um but it, it worked out. Well, um, I hadn't realised it was it? in yeah. Hertfordshire. If that's the case, I, th- um, I think that's the same as the, the real Bleak House, which was, I think, near St Albans. Or, yes, I, th- yes, I um, think it was. Something. So, that made so that in fact, yes,
1: part of it, yes. In fact, Bleak House, like one side of the house they, they used as right. uh, as Bleak House. So that's the, the, the other side was something else entirely, yes.
0: <laughs> so it would be nice to um, look at, a bit more at the characters. I think uh, as as one looks back on... The book, it's some of the characters that, that one is really left with, and the adaptation, of course, just really brings those to, to life. It's now very difficult for me, certainly, to read the book again without seeing the particular faces that you, you put on the screen. Um, I was just wondering if you, looking back on it, have a, a, a personal favourite amongst the characters?
1: I have several favorite characters. I I think one in particular is Guppy. Uh he's he's a favorite character of mine in the book because yeah. I, I think he's funny. yeah, And um uh and he's also such a a, a kind of positive, energetic mm. Mm. character. I think Dickens is very is very snobbish about Guppy because um uh in the book, uh, he uh, he falls in love with Esther mm. more or less at first sight, and thinks, you know, she'd be a nice little wife for me. Yep. Um, you know, and I set up as a lawyer. You know, she um, she'd be ideal, and uh, he. Proposes to her, you know, very shyly and awkwardly and comically, and, and legally as well—a very legal manner, isn't yes, it? I put it to you, Miss yes, Esther, or right. something like it's that. It's not. It's not an ideal. No. it's <laughs> not an ideal proposal. Um, certainly, and um, uh, and she rejects him in the book. I think in, in mm. really in a way like like um, it's impossible that somebody, mm. a lady like me, could marry. Somebody like you, but she doesn't know she's a lady. Mm. I mean, why should she, in a way, give herself such airs? Sure. So, so I I sort of changed that really mm. out of sympathy for Guppy and mm. and had her uh, turn him down on on the basis that um, uh, she's very grateful for his proposal, but but she she doesn't um, can't reciprocate his yes. feelings, and she wishes him well and that uh, that sort of thing. Because I wanted to give. Uh, guppy a bit of dignity and in yeah. fact myself i think she should have accepted guppy I, I think he's a much more uh appealing character than that that moaning doctor woodcourt that she does fall <laughs> in love with um uh, so he was one of my, yeah. my favorites I, I think another um well if you stay with guppy for a minute yeah, stay did, with guppy, it, yeah. just
0: for a minute because you know I, I i was struck at sort of reading about guppy seeing guppy um by the fact that maybe there is a little bit of Dickens' autobiography in there, because Dickens was a law clerk of a very junior nature, he was. But he, but, um, in, as he started his career really at the age of yeah. f- uh, 15 or so. And Guppy's got all that kind of up and coming optimism and energy that yeah. Dickens obviously had that saw him rise up in yes. his profession. Yes. So, so. Um, um, you know, maybe it's a bit of a birthday present for yeah. Dickens that you were so generous to. Uh, yeah, to well,
1: to. almost as if he's slightly looking down on his former self. But there's a, mm. there's, a, there's tremendous likability about it. Like when they, the lawyers, clerks go out at lunchtime, you, you think. Um, these guys are lettuce having lobster, the time of their lives with sort of uh, chatting up, yeah. chatting up the waitress, ordering their lobster and lettuce. And you just think, you know, I wouldn't yeah. mind being along, you know, yeah. with that. That sounds like fun. And uh, and he just he's just so energetic. He charges all around the country, you know, following up his his little intuitions yes. and his guesses. And um, he's almost like and the second detective there. in the yes, novel, isn't yes, he? Yes, he is. Yeah. There's quite a lot of detectives in the book. Yeah, there are a few. As yeah. Tolkien Horn does his bit, yeah. they, they're all at mm. it, aren't
0: they? Um, we'll come on to the de- detectives again, perhaps a bit later. But um, yeah, some people have been a little less kind on Guppy, and I think have even even been suggested he's a bit of a stalker of the way he kind of mm-hmm. pursues
1: Esther Summerson. But uh, oh well, I, yeah, well I, I took it just that that he's um, enthusiastic. <laughs> he's enthusiastic, yeah, and. Um, yeah, you could see him as a bit of a stalker because he—I I mean, once she's turned him down, he sees himself more as a kind of guardian angel, doesn't he? Mm. Like he's uh, watching over her, and—and uh, and I had him actually, you know, I—I I don't know if dickens I, I, I get the book and my adaptation completely mixed up. You've done I've, that to all of us, I'm afraid. <laughs> I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've got him, you know, like like sort of drawing little doodles of angels when, when he's trying to make his connections ah, between okay. all the uh, all the characters. He sees her like that. But I interrupted you going to
0: tell us about another favorite character that you had. Uh, in there.
1: yes, um uh, because she's such a non-character in the book, Ada, um, uh, yes. who's um, one of the young people with who's with a claim to the to the Jandice, uh, fortune mm. and she's pretty wet in the book there's not much mm. to go on and um and i i just thought teenager in love really mm. and um and that's an uh, attractive thing that that she yeah. and richard fall in love and sure. in a way that's the sort of nice and it, richard is such a tragedy i mean he's another one that um mm. I, I remember that old uh Bleak House adaptation in in the eighties. Mm. Richard was wonderful in that one. It's such a poignant story because he he starts the book so so full of life, um, so eager and so nice, and then he spoiler ge- he alert! Gets, I he think get... <laughs> <laughs> we should should warn the listener if you haven't read the book. This haven't... is a spoiler alert. It's like um, the football scores. Turn away right, now. Yeah. So what happens to Richard? <laughs> well, he gets he gets sucked into this. Um, almost sick it's almost like a gambler's excitement about Mm. this claim he didn't know anything about it really before then he then he hears that he's a claimant Mm. and um, and he can't think of anything else except this Mm. from then on and he he kind of he destroys his health through it and uh, the the kind of redeeming thing is this love that he's got for ada and this love that she's got for him And we got two wonderful performances sure. there. Uh, I mean, one of them from uh, Ada playing Carrie Mulligan. It sure. was more or less her first screen performance. And now has gone on to such and, you know, and big things. Yeah, she did cinema, turn out to yeah. be as wonderful as we thought yes. she was going to be. Yeah.
0: No, she really was a great part. Uh, I think as an academic, I've probably got too much time on my hands to think too deeply about some of the things that Dickens absolutely wouldn't have intended. But the, the name Carsten... Um the way he chose his names is very deliberate, mm. obviously talking horn is the talking horn and so on and um the name Carsten is um is, is quite interesting when you look at it because um the the caste bit is is that got the flavour of incarceration and incarceration's exactly the same word as um in Chancery they come from the oh, same yes. root because it means to be put in a hard barrier and so the the court the Chancery court, and it's the first chapter of the book in Chancery. Mm that phrase in chancery means within the barrier and actually mm. that's why barristers are called barristers because they went up to the barrier if you like mm. of the court so it's quite quite fascinating that Dickens for some reason was it just instinct I don't know but called Richard Carston and gave him this kind of hard sort of carcer, incarceration cancerous and chancery-like name—it's—it's it's incredible. Oh, I say, thats not that deep? It's bit, that
1: is deep. It's a bit <laughs> deep for me. But Carston, yes, is—is is quite a harsh sound, isn't yes, it? Yes. Yeah. And you'd think that's initially you'd think that's perhaps not right for Richard. Yes. You, you ought to have a nice, soft, little mellifluous yes. name. I, I know Dickens. I mean, obviously loved naming yes. his characters, uh, you know, quite exotically. I wonder whether he thought about symbolic things. Did you notice the character who who isn't in the book uh, that I more or less Invented. He he does. A okay. clerk is mentioned. He's but, sort of a He becomes, he becomes yeah. much more of a character, really, because I want I wanted Tulkinghorn to be able to speak to somebody yes. uh, in his office. So I I had this confidential clerk called Clam, which uh, yes. which I, I I thought was a suitably Dickensian sort of. Um, Certainly. Yes, so you had a yeah. chance, an opportunity to yeah. invent a, a Dickensian character, yes. which is which is quite. But nice. then, but then uh, later on, um, towards the end of the book, where mm. we started to be a bit free with the plot, Cram mm. becomes an actor in the, uh, you know, mm. he he he, ta- he he takes a, a positive role in um, trying to sort out. So the, you, uh, you use him as a kind of a, a glue for After linking a few things. Death, yeah. Yes.
0: That's that's interesting, yes. Can't really move on from talking about characters without looking at um, the main character in Mm. so many ways, Um, Esther. And you talk about Dickens perhaps using names symbolically, Esther... Is a very unusual character in the Bible. You know, it's a, it's, an, it's that book. I can't remember what she yeah. does actually. Well, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, she's she is basically someone who's taken from humble origins into the king's court. oh wow and and, and there is something appropriate yes. in that. It's also a strange book of the Bible because, as Dickens would have known, as someone very familiar with the Book of Common Prayer, Esther is part of it. Half of the book is in the Bible, and half of it is considered non-canonical. And of course. Bleak House has got this strange double structure. Um, And Esther has her own narrative that sort of sits alongside and isn't quite part of the whole novel. She's almost like like Mm -hmm. an observer on her own story, so it's a strange one. So Esther is a really important character, but the big debate with Esther, I think, nowadays, is whether or not she is likeable or someone we should root for. Now, in your adaptation, I feel that she is someone that we feel quite positive about. Is that
1: how you first thought of her when you read the novel? No, I, I, I had big difficulties with her um, reading the novel at first because I, I thought, particularly in her own narrative, she seems uh, uh, creepy and disingenuous, mm. uh, almost Uriah Heepish. Right. You mm. know, she's always being very, very humble, isn't mm. she? Self deprecating, uh, isn't she? Self deprecating yeah. in a way that's really praising herself. Yeah. And I, I thought all these nicknames that she gets, Dame Dud and now mm. little this and now little that, mm. um Slightly repellent, I thought, the the whole atmosphere around her. So really what I did was um, I I sort of surgically removed the the elements of her character that Mm. I I found unsympathetic and concentrated on the bits that that I liked, Mm. such as her kind of self-contained thing, that that steadfastness, Mm. uh, that she's uh, very loyal, that she's very perceptive, Mm. Uh, she's totally honest. You know, she won't hide what she really thinks and no. f- and feels, and that she's a bit of a moral touchstone in, in the novel. That um, uh, John Dice, uh indulges Skimpole, yes. and Esther is very hard on skimpo sure. when when she hears about his family and and so on, yeah. and, and she thinks, well, I'm not going to be amused by somebody who's such a um, sponger and who mm. who's so neglectful of his own family and and so um yeah we like her and also i mean she was very well cast in anna maxwell martin somebody who's um who can at any rate make herself look very plain which is good for esther and has just such an expressive face very adaptable so because esther does an awful lot of listening to other people and either thinking oh, I'm so moved and I'm, I feel sympathetic. Yeah. Or she thinks, actually, I don't believe a word you're saying. Yes. So we go through the story really looking into Esther's eyes to, yes. to think, what should we be thinking of this person or that person?
0: Yeah, so Esther's...
1: Um, it's interesting what you say
0: about sometimes she's moved and sometimes she seems impassive, almost as if she's got the qualities of her parents. Her, her mother, who begins the novel, is this very still creature Mm. of fashion icy still really and the father who's you know chasing dreams and and, uh dies Mm. with opiates or whatever and um she's wonderfully i I think quite a a rich and and broad and and, and nuanced and complex character whereas some people think she's a little bland and uh as a lawyer got this little theory that in this book about law where everyone's looking for justice and they Mm -hmm. don't find it as you used to, you called her, a moral um, touchstone, that maybe she is, in a way, the missing justice of the whole story um, because her actions, at least, even if her, her words mm. are sometimes a little annoying, her actions, she looks after the poor, she, um, she turns her mother from this sort of frigid, icy character to someone passionate and moving, mm. who moves, obviously, to her death eventually. I... Um, Really have warmed to Esther the more I've sort of read about her, but I I do have a sneaking suspicion that, you, that your adaptation has, has fooled me into liking her more than I should have. Done. Uh,
1: well, uh, I I mean she is the um, the heroine of the novel, and yeah. you've got to write it in a way that. Um, uh, I mean, there's an argument to be had mm. over that. I mean, I might be people could legitimately say that I was traducing Dickens by by leaving out all the uh, complicated and and Bits that I don't like, but 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 anyway, I think you you know if she's the heroine, you've got a writer in a way, and and the, and the actress anyway is going to act her in a yeah. way that um, yeah. that people are going to like.
0: Well, it worked. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. If we can move on to the, the lawyers, um, sticking I suppose with with characters, and um, and I'm biased, obviously, um, uh, being quite interested to see how Dickens portrays lawyers. Uh, some people have said. Uh, in a quite critical way that, that that maybe Dickens' experience of his own father going to debtor's prison when Dickens was a young lad. Um, Dickens' experience of sitting as a reporter for four years in the court of Doctors Commons, which was a very technical and bureaucratic mm. court. Dickens' experience trying to defend Christmas Carol from pirates, that he, he hated the experience of, of court. And he said, mm. I, I felt uh, I was treated as if I were the robber instead of the robbed. um mm. Some people have said all of that basically has produced a Dickens who by the time he writes Bleak House in 1851 is really anti-law, really negative about the law and um, it's
1: vitriolic almost. I don't know if you, if you go along with that. Not completely but I mean it's not a very good picture. I mean you get individual, not unsympathetic characters like Ken, is very mm. sensible and he gives good advice. The chancellor yeah. certainly in the, the the early stages when, when he's um, deciding whether you know the, the, this is a good disposition for John Dice to look after these people. I, I I don't know whether Dickens intended it, but I I certainly tried to put in this this thing like is he getting these kids to groom them for sex, um, <laughs> uh, and I've tried to put a kind of element of suspicion. Yeah, you justified okay. suspicion into uh, in Richardson's um, questioning, so he's he's okay. But but in general, the the I, I mean, you can't get away from the overall emphasis that the lawyers are really in it for themselves, and nice. and the awful macabre, almost Kafkaesque jubilations at the end, where they're yes. all throwing their papers up, and all the lawyers are saying, well, you know, they're almost like pack of vultures. Yes. Yeah, we've picked all. The bones out of this one. Yep. you know what's next. And sadly,
0: was all yeah. too true a reflection of of mm. the state of that court, the court of chancery, yeah. when Dickens set the novel, which was you know, in, whatever 1827. Yes. So a good few um, years before he actually be. wrote it. Yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, so many of these nineteenth-century novelists set their their greatest novels. About like twenty mm. years back or, or um Perhaps when they were in the, the time of their sort of their own their own youth. Yeah, yeah youth and, and yeah. seeing the world with fresh yeah. eyes and,
0: and certainly in Dickens' case that's when he was a law clerk. So uh
1: Yes Chandice too, I I am some ways I, I would think represents Dickens's position. Mm-hmm. Um which is you know don't go there. Yes. Um, yeah. I've, I've got a. I've got a claim as well, but yeah. I've seen what it can do to people and um, I'm not going to pursue it. That's of absolutely course, it's right, easy yeah. for him to say because yeah. he was a, uh, a wealthy man without having to um, go to law. I, I, exactly right. He
0: was actually invited a couple of years after the Carroll case. Would you like to have another go, Mr. Dickens, said the lawyers. And then mm-hmm. he said, um, uh, on the whole... I would much rather not proceed. It's actually in capital letters, the Mm. word not. So he had a a really quite unpleasant experience. Um, The other thing that I suppose distinguishes Dickens from some of the poor souls trapped in Chancery is that they genuinely couldn't get out of the case. And this is a a, a line that Dickens used. They'd like to get out, and Jarndyce says this, but they cannot get out. Dickens was given the choice. Would you like to litigate? But people in Chancery were genuinely Mm. trapped, sometimes it was said for their own benefit mm. because you have a claim under a will, but they couldn't disclaim. Yeah. So um, that's that's the horrifying prison quality of, yeah. of Chancery. Didn't
1: it used to be a name for a wrestling hold or something? That's right. I've got you in Chancery now, my boy, it, sort of thing. Absolutely. Somebody held in a position in which. You know, they, they technically couldn't move. Absolutely right. There's a there's, the there's a rhyme or was it a
0: book called The True Bottomed Boxer. I've no idea what, what a mm. false bottom boxer looks like. But a true bottom boxer mm. and that was eighteen twenty five and again around the time that Dickens was mm. just uh, about to start his law clerk career and it actually says, you know, that one of the great, you know, holes is the, the, the Chancery to get a man in Chancery. Yeah and getting him in a headlock that he can't get out of, um, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty violent image of what the court got up to, I'm afraid to say. What about a more sort of, I think more pleasant, at least more, uh, quite modern anyway, character? And that's Inspector Bucket. He's an interesting character, isn't he, in the book and adaptation?
1: Uh, um, He is very interesting, and I'm actually not sure I I ever really got to the bottom of Mm. him, because... In the early stages of the book, he seems to be a willing tool of mm. Tulkinghorn, and the the way in which he'll he'll pursue Joe and um, yeah. uh, generally seem to do anything that Tulkinghorn wants him to do. Sure. And we're gradually coming to the um, conclusion that Tulkinghorn isn't a, isn't a nice man at all. And then. He switches round yeah. uh, and uh, turns out to be a rather brilliant detective mm. um, who is very you know, humane has as well. the best interests mm. of, of um, the good characters yes, at right.
0: heart I think it's very, very touching isn't it the way that he's, he's portrayed at when gridley is is dying um, that he's, you know he's very yes. very much the, the man on the spot and he's not afraid to go into the the diseased places yeah um of course was was based on. A real Inspector Field who took Dickens around the street to London, to the diseased, yes. to the...
1: Uh... Inspector Field is is the guy who, who turns up in that recent novel based on a real Victorian okay. um, well, I didn't case, I that. think. I think, yes. yeah. Certainly, yeah. I mean, he was, a, he was a famous Victorian detective, wasn't he? Yeah. The characters um,
0: are... Very memorable. Looking back at the adaptation, for for ways that when you look at the novel, you think, "My goodness me!" I, it, there's a bit of bit of a screen adapter's magic has gone on there because Guppy, for instance, always introduces himself in a in a certain way. Um, I think one or two of the characters do. They they sort of introduce themselves with a certain memorable phrase, and we find that the exact words aren't in the novel.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm... I'm not sure. I'm not absolutely sure about that, mm. but I'm, mm. I, I'm sure at some stage Guppy introduces himself as yeah. Mr. Guppy Guppy and Carboys. But, yes. Yes. but I, I thought that's that's just so so good, yeah. and in in fact, I, yeah, it's like the modern way. You know, people you know at social gatherings. Yeah. Uh, People who meet a lot of people think sure. uh, I want to... Americans do it yeah, and yeah. say their own name when right. they're meeting somebody. And I thought I every time Guppy goes in, yes. it's such a nice sound. Mr. Guppy, Kenjin Carboys. And kids who are watching the show just kind of pick that one up. And the other one in particular yeah. was, uh, was Small Weeds, yeah. Shake Me Up Judy. Fantastic. He says it perhaps a couple of times in yeah. the book. Yeah. but um, But I just thought it was so so good it was yeah, like yeah. a catchphrase um in, in a comedy show sure. like, like a comedian's catchphrase and um so i i had him say it, yeah. um you, you, so you could hear him coming when he wasn't even on <laughs> yeah. in, in shot shake me up judy he's brought in and, a sedan or something like that it, isn't yeah. it one stage isn't it? and it almost sounds like a you know saying it like a like a punch and judy show and <laughs> um you could you could for a while download it as a ringtone for your oh, right. for your mobile phone. So which well, is rather a good one. I hope those that days aren't gone. I'll have to <laughs> have to buy
0: them. <laughs> yes. Well we won't I won't try and mimic it, but it's it certainly sticks in the mind. Um Probably getting a, uh, towards the end of our time. It's been fascinating to uh, t- to hear uh, some of the, the ins and outs of uh, how you adapted this, this largest of, of Dickens' work. And then you were you unafraid, you know, you then went on to Little Dorrit, which is, I suspect, his second largest work. So yeah, you, you, you don't mind a challenge. That's no, <laughs> no,
1: I've loved it. And, I, I, and of course, I approached Little Dorrit with a, with, a, mm. with a lot more confidence because I, I'm, I'm having done Bleak House because mm. I thought we'd, I've sort of cracked mm. the way of doing these things, yes. and, uh, and Little Dorrit went much more quickly. Yeah, well, it, mm.
0: it was a wonderful adaptation. Um, but we're going back to, to Bleak House, and um, the novel begins with ooh, a good, solid page of text describing the fog. The fog mm-hmm. that this London Peculiar, I think it's called, or, is it? or London Particular, yeah. or something yeah. like that, that, that fills London, and we find that it ultimately emanates from the throne of the, the lord chancellor and chancellor this great image of the barrier between mm. the people and justice and, and whatever else and the disconnection of institutions in this world where people mm. are trying to connect so it's a great image and um now we do notice in the adaptation there's there's this very <laughs> Where's le- the fog? well yeah. <laughs> you know um, how to put this um, the, the, it, you have this sense of um a fog of uh, of movement you've got the mud you've got the grime you've got all but not a lot of
1: actual fog in evidence. I'm, now, was that deliberate? Um, uh, no, not 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 on my part. Of course, if you're going to have absolute solid thick fog, there is a problem because yep. people are going to say, who just came on, you know, <laughs> in a sort of anyway way. Um, but it would have been very good to see a lot of fog swirl across and, you know, just temporarily uh, block out uh, our view so that we, we find ourselves... Even though I'm know, um, disorientated, mm. uh, so I wrote a lot of fog and a lot mm. of references to fog in, in, in my script. Mm. But believe it or not, the BBC weren't able to provide the fog. Oh. They, they kept saying, "Well, we, we've got fog machines, but um, if there's a breeze, it just blows away." I mean, before you start shooting, and you would think there would be some way of overcoming this difficulty, but but. Apparently not. So I just had to go through the script, you know, changing it all to filthy weather and that kind of thing because the fog was uh, was, 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 was not there. Yeah. Great. Maybe, maybe you
0: needed genuine lawyers to produce a, a real fog or something yeah, like that. Yeah, maybe. Well, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I, I'm sure scholars of television studies would look at that adaptation and say, ah, you know, I think there's, there must be some deep reason why there's no fog here. It turns you out know. to be just one of those beautiful yeah. chance things of everyday life. Absolutely. Which is exactly the sort of thing that delighted Dickens and uh, inspired him to write... Yes. Uh, these uh novels in the first place so perhaps that's a good note to end on um thank you very much uh for coming along and uh giving your time um, and helping to wrap up this uh this nice birthday present for dickens thank you thank you bye